Hi, this is Larry Wilson, and this is How to Talk to Humans. This is the podcast that shows you how to improve your communication skills. Are you looking to get a better job? Are you looking to find a relationship? Are you trying to do things in your life that have frustrated you and eluded you so far? I can show you so easily how to change that. Now, I can only do it with humans. If you're looking to deal with vampires or zombies, extraterrestrials, this is not the show for you. But if you're really looking to improve your communication skills, I can show you what I've learned from 40 years in show business working with the biggest celebrities and superstars in the world, and their secrets are unbelievable. What I'm going to be teaching you during the course of this podcast every week are tools that you can use to communicate toward success. Hi, this is Larry Wilson. Thanks again for joining me on this podcast. I know that many of you are interested in being podcasters yourself. And even those of you who aren't, but may have business enterprise where you need to be on Zoom meetings or make presentations over Microsoft Teams. All these sort of broadcasting situations where you may need to appear on camera. Some of you are completely comfortable with that. Others terrified at the thought of having to appear on camera. I have a guest I'm going to uh, interview in an upcoming episode of the podcast who's a hugely successful woman, uh, completely self-made, enormously creative, enormously funny, and so smart, and has made herself fabulously well-to-do But she absolutely will not appear on camera because it terrifies her. She And she's in a position now where she doesn't need to. But you cannot induce her in any manner. So I suspect when I uh, do bring her on as a guest, you'll just hear her voice. And maybe in uh, promoting that episode... We'll have a cartoon sketch of her, or maybe it'll be a something else. I don't know, but she she doesn't like the camera, and this is not that unusual. It's uh, related, of course, to the same problem we have uh, with public speaking. Many of you um, may uh, already be aware of this. Some of you may not, that the number one fear of adults in the United States, you would think is death, wouldn't you? I mean, death is kind of permanent. No, death is number two. Number one is public speaking, which is crazy if you think about it, that it means you would rather be dead then have to speak in front of a group. To those who are listening who share this feeling, I'm sure it doesn't seem crazy at all. 
But it's not that difficult to overcome that fear. In my two-day boot camps, we spent some time specifically addressing that. Um, one of my students who was in a boot camp is a young woman named Emma, who I think was 22, and had just graduated UCLA with a degree in political science. And I, I think she actually wants to go into politics. But there was a little problem, which was, if she had to get up in front of three people to speak, she would start shaking and sweating, and uh, she would start stumbling over her words, and blah, 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 and she, she just was a mess. And when we were training in a two-day boot camp, we were in a large uh, uh, business hotel in Los Angeles, and the first morning as I was coming in, I ran into a friend who uh, trains people in some marketing things. And I said, oh, what are you doing here? He said, I'm training a bunch of people. And he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing a two-day boot camp. He said, great. And I got a text from him that night saying, could I um, have you introduce some of your people to some of my people uh, you know, the next day. And I said, I'll ask them. Sure, I'm sure it'd be good practice for them. So I asked them all, I said, how do you feel about this? And they said, great, great. So the second day, uh, I think it was in the morning, I brought my people down and I think there were only seven of them. And we came into this room and in that room, there are probably 80 people who were in for this other marketing training. And I, I warned them in advance, my people. I said, you know, this is not going to be a big deal. He's probably just going to say, this is Larry Wilson. These are his people. Hi, how are you? And then we're out of there. Well, turns out I was wildly mistaken. He asked us to come to the front room, and then he does a big pitch about Wilson method. And I thought, well, it's very nice, but I wasn't really expecting it. And he's explaining the importance of communication skills and then he interviews each one of my people. And I thought, oh, well, this will be very interesting. And the first one is Emma. And he hands her a microphone and he says, what's your name and where are you from? And, you know, what were you here to do? And she, he says to her, so what have you gotten from Wilson Method so far? And Emma says, well, before I did any of this training, if I had to speak to just a few people, my hands would start sweating, I'd be shaking, my voice would be quavering, I couldn't get the words out. And she said, now I'm in front of this huge group here. She said, do I seem nervous to you? And this guy who was leading me said, no. <laughs> said, seems like you've been doing it all your life. She said, yeah. And I haven't actually finished the two-day boot camp. I've only done the first day. And I could just see everyone in the audience leaning forward like, I want to have whatever this woman has. Well, this is a perfect example of, it's not that difficult to overcome, but you have to understand it. And it it's hard to do uh, just on a podcast like this, but it has to do with that sense of, uh, of, a critic 
judging you and being afraid of what that critic will say and, and are feeling that the audience is inherently hostile. Well, I can tell you this right now. The audience is not hostile. The audience, especially if you're employing these other Wilson method techniques that I've talked about uh, that are semiotic, that are not spoken, if your posture and your facial affect is open and receptive, the audience wants you to do well. I should also point out that in my whole career performing on stage, I would sometimes hear other performers talk about, oh, those audiences, they're hostile. Well, I never experienced that ever, ever. I, sometimes I perform for audiences who weren't expecting me. They had something else in mind. But instead of being defensive, I simply worked through it. And I, my experience as a performer, I think is the same that people have as speakers. The audience wants you to do well. They identify with you. They relate to you. You can also help them feel that way by how you behave. And when they feel that way, they're thinking to themselves, wow, I'm glad that's not me up there. Because they share your feeling of terror at having to speak in front of a group. So when you get up there, they already have empathy for you. And if you speak to them in a way that's authentic, and you've done your preparation properly, so that they feel connected to you, they immediately feel as if you're like them. And every success you have feels like their success. I can tell you, I remember, I feel badly that I don't remember this woman's name, but many years ago, I was booked on a show, a corporate event, and there was a woman who was a stand-up comic. She was very funny, very funny. But she had a terrible stutter. And in her act, she would sometimes refer to it like she knew she had a stutter. And the audience loved her so much because they knew how much courage it took for her to get up with that stutter, she still wanted to present this funny material she'd written. And by God, she destroyed the room with it. They, she got a phenomenal response. And I attribute a great deal. One, it was great material and very funny. But also... It was so self-effacing. She did not try to pretend she was something she was not. She had a terrible stutter. She acknowledged it. She just went ahead anyway. 
And in the course of her stand-up material, she acknowledged it. Like, yeah, I, I can't remember the specific words that she used, but she said something like, yeah, it's hard to sometimes understand what I say because I'm stuttering, but I'm still going to go ahead anyway. That audience would have gone anywhere with her, done anything she wanted, accepted any premise that she could possibly have. And all of these same fears are multiplied when we're on camera. When you're performing live, sometimes a saving grace, I've had friends of mine who told me about experiences they had that were dreadful for one reason or another. And they made themselves feel better on stage by thinking, well, when this is over, it'll just be in the rear view mirror. I just have another 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. This will just be behind me. It'll be a bad memory. I once came out on stage. This goes to show some of the things I've learned the hard way that I don't want you to have to go through. I did not know enough to prep certain things in advance. And the people I was working for as a corporate job uh, simply assumed that I knew everything they knew. Well, that's crazy. Nowadays, when I do corporate jobs, I send in advance, I send several weeks in advance, a questionnaire that asks them, tell me about these things and tell me about specific people and the ideas and the culture. I want to know as much as I can know in advance. But in these halcyon days, I did not know that. I came out on stage to discover that the entire audience was hearing impaired. I suspect by the fact that you're listening to me on a podcast, you may realize that I depend very heavily on my voice. There was a woman on stage with me who was a a transliterator. She would actually... In real time, she was signing exactly what I was saying. And I thought, well, there's only two ways to approach this. I can panic and melt down, or I can acknowledge the situation. As soon as I acknowledged the situation, the audience roared with laughter and relaxed. And I could feel that they were so happy that I wasn't trying to pretend this wasn't strange. And I told them, I said, oh, I didn't realize this was a situation. And at one point I I was saying something about magic and I said, uh, um, feats of ledger domain, sleights of hand, and prestidigitation. And there was a thunderous laugh from the audience. I thought, that doesn't make sense. That's not funny. And I turned to the transliterator and I said, what did you just sign? Well, that got a huge laugh. And then I said, oh, you just signed, what did you just sign? And that got a huge laugh. I said, you know what? I'm not going to go ahead until you tell me what you signed. So everything I was saying, she was signing, and they were laughing at my confusion and my lack of familiarity. And finally the transliterator leaned over and whispered in my ear. She said, do you really want to know what I signed? I said, I'm just going to keep saying it until I figure it out. So I said, feats of sleight of hand, ledger domain, and 
prestidigitation. And I was watching what she said. Bigger laugh than ever now. And I said, I'm not going to go on until you tell me. And she leaned over and whispered in my ear. She said, I signed, big word, don't know what it means. So then I told the audience what she said. From that moment on, I could do no wrong because I showed them my authentic self. This is something anyone can do. It's not just me. When you're on camera, it's multiplied. It's worse. The critic who's worried about how you sound is now worried about that eyebrow that you always have a problem with, or your makeup isn't quite right, or your hair looks like a Brillo pad, or you could make a list of a thousand things that we all worry about. We have to simply let it go. We don't fight it. We don't try to uh, convince ourselves that it doesn't matter. We simply don't resist it. But it's interesting, and after listening to this podcast, I guarantee you're going to start seeing this. Many people on camera make what I call uh, micro-avoidance movements. It's a little hard to describe. I'll see if I can do justice to it. They're tiny movements. They aren't big. They're um, movements of turning their face away from the camera, just fractionally, a little bit. Maybe they lift their chin suddenly. Uh, maybe they uh, close their eyes for a moment, or they, they avert their gaze and look off. All of these are unconscious attempts to escape the unflinching eye of the camera. Because the it feels as if the camera is judging us. It never blinks. It's the cyclops that's looking at us, thinking, who do you think you are to be standing here saying whatever you're saying, or presenting whatever you're presenting, talking about what... It's that hidden critic that we all fear. And those micro-avoidance movements... You'll start to see them now if you watch. Even on broadcast network television, you can see them. The great communicators, great broadcasters, do not do this. How do you overcome it? This is a big secret that is worth millions, and it's going to blow your mind. You practice. That's all it is. You set up a camera and look in. Now, I'm going to give you another, I'm going to give you a very simple trick, if you will, to make practicing easier. But truthfully, it's just a matter of practice. It's like anything else involved in these communication trainings. Set up your camera on your computer, or you can use your phone if you'd like, and record yourself. But... Um, to get a real sense of, of what's going on, it probably is more effective if you're making something that you intend someone to see. 
It could be just birthday wishes to someone. It could be as simple as that. But when you do this, you'll see yourself making these tiny micro-avoidance movements. So you just practice looking into that camera lens and not looking away. The technique that I always recommend to my students that's so easy to do is take a photograph, print out a photograph, or you could cut it out of a magazine. Uh, For younger listeners, that's a thing that's printed on paper that uh, has information on it that uh, hasn't been scanned yet and uploaded to the cloud. Um, But you could print out a picture of someone who's a friend or maybe a celebrity you admire or like and cut a hole out of one of the eyes and put that over your camera so that the camera lens is looking through that eye hole. Now, I know this sounds silly. Perhaps it is. If you saw a video of me doing it, you might think that's the silliest thing I've ever seen. But it allows you to look directly at something familiar. And like I say, maybe it's a movie star who you have a crush on. Well, now you're looking directly into that movie star's eye. And it's much easier for you to talk and look directly at them. You don't have to do this for your entire career. After you've used this technique with the photograph for a while, you'll start to feel like, oh, I can summon this ability anytime. It, it even doesn't have to be a face. You could put a concentric circles of a bullseye or uh, someone was suggesting to me a peace symbol holding up the two fingers, you know, like a V. Um, anything that focuses your attention and makes that target unmistakable for you to make eye contact with. A lot of people are under the mistaken assumption that on camera, for instance, on Zoom, on a Zoom meeting, that because you're not physically there, eye contact doesn't matter. This, of course, is contraindicated. It is the exact opposite of what you need to do. Because you are not there, it is more important than ever that you make eye contact and maintain eye contact. And since there's no one except that horrible, unblinking cyclops, you need to utilize some tools to get better at it, get more proficient with it, more comfortable with it. But when you do, I I have to say, I think of another student, a woman named Katie, who had, um, had gotten involved with um, a marketing uh, thing for, uh, I guess it was some sort of beauty product or a makeup, I think it may have been, or skincare. And she had practiced what I'm talking about so well that her performance on camera was so natural. And she was supposed to make videos every week showing different products and how you use them. And she got so good. But what was funny is I, I asked her to send me a, some video. 
before the video started, when she was getting ready, she was making all the micro-avoidance movements. She, her eyes were all over the place and she couldn't look. But as soon as she started what she had prepared and practiced, then her focus was right on the camera. Oh, you do this and then you do this. And then every day you want to be able to apply this. And then when she finished, she went back into the micro-avoidance movements. So if that's the case, that's okay. But when you practice these things, you can develop great expertise very, very quickly. Remember, the bard, William Shakespeare tells us, the eyes are the windows to the soul. And it's truer now than it's ever been. Being able to make eye contact, whether it's live in person or whether it's with a camera, is more important than ever for you to be able to connect before you've spoken a word. I hope that you'll come and join me next week when I have a brand new episode of How to Talk to Humans. And I'll teach more things that you can use right now to get the things from life that you truly desire. This has been Larry Wilson. I want to thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope you found this information useful. If you're looking for more, you can find it at thewilsonmethod.com. There's a ton of stuff there. In fact, if you want, you can even speak to me because I'm human. Send me an email at info at wilsonmethod.com because I read every single one. I hope that you'll join us next week in this continuing journey and you'll be with me for the next episode of How to Talk to Humans. <laughs>